Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we are creating connection through dialogue. In this season, I speak with community leaders and creatives as we explore meaningful topics and the obstacles that they have encountered along their paths. It's inspirational, it's fun, it's complex. Valencia started off life feeling extremely isolated, both from her family and peers. It's these circumstances that lead her down a destructive path early on. Listen to this transformational episode as Valencia recounts the challenging experiences that led her to healing and changing her life trajectory. It's one that can make you cry and leave you feeling inspired to make changes in your own life. It definitely did so for me. Enjoy. Hi, Valencia. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited for this. Me too. It's Monday. It is Monday. It's the start of a new week. Nice. A new beginning. Uh, so let's jump in. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you from? I am from Washington, D.C. So yeah, I was born on the East Coast. And when I was a lot younger, um, my parents divorced. So then I moved here with my mom when I was five. So then I've grown oh. up here since I was five. Oh, wow. So your parents divorced. And then where did your dad go? Um, my dad stayed in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Okay. And you came over here and with your mom? Mm-hmm. She and- has family out here. Oh. How was that for you? Do you remember it? I do remember it. The whole experience was... I just remember being really scared and confused the whole time. Well, I guess the process leading up to it. My dad asked me who I loved more, and that was really awkward. As a five-year-old, um, he asked you that. Yeah. Wow. And, and I remember Old saying, moves. and I, I remember saying that I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I think the answer was um, my mom, <laughs> but I didn't know, and I didn't want to um, disappoint him. So I said I didn't know, and I remember um, my parents yelling a lot. And then when we were moving, I just remember feeling like a big sense of loss, you know, with having both of my parents there and having a really good friend there. So I just felt like I was losing things and I was afraid. Yeah. Especially at the age of five. I mean, kids require so much consistency. That's hard to be uprooted. Like right when you're gaining, like right when you're like becoming a real human being, you know, five-year-olds I feel like can like interact with the world in a different way yeah I guess fear was the most that I could make sense of it at the time I just remember feeling very confused and I, I feel like when you're young you're basically taking in feedback all the time from what your parents think of you when you notice that they're really frustrated a lot I think it's natural to just start thinking is it me <laughs> you took on that frustration yeah. From them. So what was it like growing up in Colorado then with your mom? It was, um, sorry, I, I try not to, um, I don't want to be a sob, but honestly it, it felt really lonely and yeah, I tell I just, you the truth. Okay. I remember feeling really sad and feeling isolated and 
I wasn't really making friends at school and I was starting to become identified in a bad way. Um, like sometimes I would get in trouble in front of other people. And um, so my mom isn't very close to her side of the family, um, some that extended family. So during the holidays, it was just very awkward for me because my mom wasn't really talking to a lot of people and I just didn't have a lot of people talking to me and I just felt really lonely. Mm. So how were you acting out in school? When I was a lot younger, I think it was like blurting out probably just attention seeking things. Um, I'm thinking back to when I was five but even when I became a little bit older, like when I was seven and eight, sometimes I was just defiant or I was also a really good student. So sometimes the teacher would really like me, but then the other children wouldn't like me um, and I just wouldn't play well with them. And it was just it was a combination, I think, of the teacher <laughs> really liking me and yeah. the other kids not really liking me that made me feel isolated. Oh, yeah, that can be challenging. So, so you're a really good student and you're acting out. Are you like fighting or are you just blurting out or are you just like, you know, seeking attention as children do? Like what's happening for you? Mm. So I was acting out at school and at home. Um, but I, I think at school it was... Um, from what I remember, because I feel like I did just end up blocking out a lot of these memories, I would do things like at lunchtime, like show people what was in my mouth, <laughs> or like, <laughs> like try what? and touch people. Like I would be chewing something and I would just be like, oh, see, like and open my mouth and just other awkward things like that. And then trying to like touch people and give people hugs when they, when they didn't want them. Oh, like to kind of instigate. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think probably sometimes I was just a little annoying. <laughs> then I started to become bullied a lot. And I could feel my personality like going in the opposite direction and just becoming really quiet and really soft-spoken. Because at the school that I went to, people would attack you and then they, they would have like these verbal arguments that maybe they were supposed to be fun. I don't know. But I would never fight back. And so then it would just get worse. And then people would just start saying really mean things to me um, or just making fun of me in the way that I looked and I wouldn't say anything and it just they started to actively isolate me dang that's really intense to go through this with your family and then that transition into school and really experience social isolation. So what happens because of that? Like where, where does that go? What, what do you do with it? Um, with the social isolation? Well, I started playing a lot more um, video games because, so I, I have a half sister, but I pretty much grew up as an only child. Okay. And so I spent a lot of time at home and in my own head, I would fantasize a lot. Yeah. draw a lot and read a lot and um, basically just a lot of things that took me outside of the normal world I would do. Okay. What are you interested in at that time specifically? Um, 
I loved the Harry Potter books. Um, those were really big when I was growing up. Yeah. And I, I loved long kind of fairy tale stories. Like there was a book called Aragon. I don't know if you remembered that. Yes, book. I do remember Aragon. That was at like all the scholastic book fairs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I read the book Thief. And yeah, just a, a lot of stories about stories where, where I could just kind of fall into and pretend I was someone else and somewhere else. Mm. But I think it started to get really bad at school when even the teacher noticed. And she said, why are you all so mean to Valencia? Like and you became a strong, like a central target almost. I, yeah. And she asked me um, to leave the room. And then she asked everyone why they were so mean. And wow. Uh, and what grade is it that? It was so embarrassing. The fifth grade. Jeez. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right move for the teacher. Yeah, I feel like she did her best and she was just trying to understand. But I mean, even I didn't really understand. But most of the answers were that I was weird and that I was. They just didn't like me, that I was fake. I mean, I, I guess as fake as you can be as a fifth grader, as a 10 year old. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like a made up insult. <laughs> general complaints. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was honestly one of the one of the most formative experiences in my life because after that I just tried to make myself small so that because I thought, you know, if no one if they don't really notice me, then maybe they won't say anything to me. Yeah, that's your survival tool. Yeah. How does that work out? Um it didn't work out very well going along with school because they they just kept disrespecting me. And then I wanted to gain their acceptance. So then I started offering to do people's homework and I did that and, and it didn't work. Like they were still mean. <laughs> you did their homework and they were still mean a too. Few, a few times. Yeah. And they, they were still mean. And, um, then, so that was in the fifth grade. And then in middle school, there were some of the same people from that school and it just, it got a lot worse. I mean, it, it just continued to, like, people would single me out in the hallways. Um, there was a huge group of people that wanted to fight me. Uh, to this day, I don't know why. I really don't know why. But really? I, I was uh, so, too afraid to go to the lunchroom that day. So I decided to, um, I went into the principal's office to speak to the psychiatrist. I think I had already established a relationship with them because throughout this entire time, my mom knew, and I think she did her best, but... You know, I just, I don't know if anyone really knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. I don't know if I had the vocabulary or the perspective to, like, understand how I even felt. Right. So, um, yeah. In eighth grade, there was this thing for me called Operation Queso. Mm -hmm. And it was all my friends who I played Halo 2 with and played video games obsessively with, they their goal was to not talk to me. And so it was like two weeks of just like shutting me out and not being my friend at all. That was like the whole point of Operation Queso. And I totally relate to the, like the fact that like I'm really introspective and try to reflect on things, but I cannot for the life of me understand why that happened when I was in eighth grade. Like I, I just can't get back that far, you know? Are you still friends with them? 
No, no, no. Yeah, that I have. I also have a hard time understanding that. But I can imagine it's really lonely. And this whole time you're just wondering, like, what did I do? Right. And it's really, I don't know, it's kind of sad to think that that was someone's idea of fun. Like, let's <laughs> isolate Danny. Right. It will be fun <laughs> just to watch him, like, wonder why. Right. I work with kids. Kids are horrible human beings. They're so brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Unpopular opinion of the day. <laughs> They're so mean to Although I can't say I disagree. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you're meeting with the school psychiatrist. Are things like starting to come to a head at that point? Like things are like, it's getting so bad that like you're not sure what to do? Yeah, that was really scary to see all these people that wanted to hurt me and to not completely understand why. And then there's another incident with a little boy who I got into a fight with him in the hallway and he just, he basically beat me up. After that, my mom pretty much decided to just move me to another school. It just didn't seem like it could get any better. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of insane when a boy just like decides to beat you up. That's fucked up. Yeah. He was really young, but yeah. Honestly, I guess it is. I feel like I have a, I have a hard time sometimes like identifying with the, the part of me that feels like, um, yeah, I guess that was really hard. I guess that was wrong. But then like the adult part of me really wants to say, but I understand. Um, really? Well, the ad- adult part of me, because, you know, I know all these things happened to me, but I mean, I don't know what those people were going through to make them act like that too. Like I, I question what their home lives looked like as well it's just kind of interesting to experience both of them at the same time because it does make me sad to think about what happened to me but then I also do have to say well I don't know what their home lives were like wow yeah that's I mean that's an interesting perspective to provide some empathy even like looking backwards at it did you have any refuge? Were there people around you that you could go to at this time? Or was it just like alone all the way through? I had some like kind of short-lived friendships, but I feel like it's really difficult to be friends with someone who's unpopular because other people will like question you too. And so sometimes I would like make friends for a while and then, um, and then it just wouldn't work out. Like they would stop talking to me. Or, um, you know, then I would be like the butt of their jokes or they would tell like my secrets to other people. So at that point, um, just can't trust anybody. Yeah. I I guess I I didn't really have any, any refuge other than the, the school psychologist when I would talk to them. Did you get along with the school psychologist? Yeah, it felt safe. That's one nice thing about psychologists is that they, they're trained to make you feel safe. Yeah. They listen to you and um, they don't act like there's something wrong with you. Which must have been so nice. Yeah, it did. So it felt better talking with her because most of the time when I was talking with other people, it felt like I was a problem that needed to be fixed. Like even though my mom, who I know was like just trying to understand at that point, 
I remember her saying things like, I just don't understand. Like, I just don't understand. Like, why is this happening? Oh, like she cares about you, but you're not, but she cares about you in a way where she just like wants to stop the problem rather than just understand you or see you or be with you kind of thing. Um, or is that off? No, (laughs) that's really interesting that you say that because I have, I never really, um, thought about it like that before, but yeah, my mom wasn't really, I never really went home and I mean, a, a few times when I was really upset, I think I went home and cried to her, but a lot of the time I, I didn't, I just cried alone. I think she did her best, but she wasn't very like nurturing and she didn't, some people say that their moms are, have like always been there for them and like always tell them like how amazing they are. I don't know the things that parents say to their children, but I don't remember ever getting like that message from my mom that I'm here and I'll love you no matter what. Mm. No one ever really said that to me when I was, um, when I was younger, except maybe my dad, when I would call him on the phone sometimes and throughout this whole time, I would talk to my dad sometimes and he would try to give my mom advice about what to do Mm. with me. Wow. So, Okay, so what happens? So you're sent to a different school? Yeah, then I got sent to um, Plays Middle School. Okay. And there I met some people who were in like gangs and who probably just had um, a negative home life. And I was already starting to skip school while I was at um, Hamilton Middle School, the first middle school I went to. Okay. And so it plays, I thought I had this really good idea that so I wouldn't be able, or so that I wouldn't have to put in as much effort. I got put in a class for kids who, not necessarily who had learning disabilities, but they basically separated the entire class into three groups, and one of which was best performing and one of which, which was worst performing. And the one that was worst performing would get less homework like they basically just got less attention overall (laughs) but i I intentionally they took up they gave me a placement test and i intentionally put down the wrong answers so i would get put in that group um and you're really smart at this um, point like you've already been identified as a kid who's very capable um yeah sometimes i feel uncomfortable saying that but yeah i i was I, i was very capable and, um, but yeah. And you're so capable that you're like, I'm going to manipulate the system so I don't have to do homework. <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good use of brain power, but, <laughs> but basically. <laughs> nice. So what's your approach now that you're at place? I'm sure you're trying to reformat your whole approach after. <laughs> kind of. Then I kind of wanted to be a little bit tougher so people started playing like fighting games where you were supposed to fight people but not hit them in the head and I entered that and the person who was fighting me she started hitting me in the face which took me completely by surprise because I was like She's breaking I didn't the know rules. yeah I was like I didn't know these were the <laughs> rules like y'all <laughs> support this <laughs> and yeah and then honestly after that 
I remember just feeling ashamed. Like I felt so ashamed. I felt mad at myself that I didn't fight back in the moment. I just, I just kind of froze up. Uh-huh. And then, so I started to hang out with some of the people who were, who just had a different home life than mine. Were these the kids for, in gangs? Yeah, some of them. Or some of them just lived in a really, how would I describe it? Like a lower income part of town, like right in the middle of Park Hill. Okay. And so I'd go over to their house and then we would get dressed up and try to meet guys when we were out. When we were like, I was like 12, like 11 and 12. And um, so then that became more of my focus, like what guys I could meet outside because I felt I felt really desirable um, like around that friend and when I was around guys. So I started to focus more on that. And then I started, um, I started stealing from my mom and um, so that I could sell things to people at school. Mm. And yeah. Sounds like your new game plan's working out pretty strong. It was okay. I wasn't exactly popular, but I didn't feel like just complete shit like I did at yeah um, Hamilton. Yeah, sounds like you got a little more social protection. Well, yeah, a little bit, but still, even when I was hanging out with the people who were in gangs, I think it was fairly obvious to everyone that I just shouldn't be there <laughs> because I most people who meet me say that I have a very soft personality, and I think that's just been present throughout my whole life. And then I was still like kind of quiet. Some people would just try to talk to me. I wasn't all loud like they were. And they were also all really sexualized even from a young age. Like even from 13 and 14, they were all having, the all the girls I knew were having sex with guys that were much older that were like 17 and 18 and sometimes oh, older. That shit is so gross. And, I, it's crazy how much, I remember that in my high school, middle school too. It's crazy. Honestly, it was looking back on it, but remembering back to when I was there, I remember feeling like it was normal and um, I was just happy that someone wanted to hang out with me and that people weren't inviting me places, honestly. Yeah. So you're involved in this like new lifestyle. Do you like it? Are you enjoying it? Are you feeling like, what's your experience of it? Um. That's a really good question. Did I enjoy that? I feel like I liked some things about it. Like I liked always having something to do. Um, I liked going over to their houses. I think I liked the drama of it all, even though I didn't want to be directly involved in it. But hearing people talk about other people and gossip and I guess to a certain extent, it, it I just felt a sense of belonging and... Like I was in a little community. Yeah. My own soap opera. Yeah. I mean, that's all kids. <laughs> not in a very good way. I mean, I don't know if soap operas even have good endings. They're sad. And I guess that's what they are. But yeah. You know. It's crazy to think about, you know, you hear about kids. I work with kids who have been through trauma and abuse and they're kind of like at their last step. But like, this is a perfect example of why kids make the choices they make. You know, it's like, they don't have a sense of belonging. They're like these things. And then they choose maybe things not best for them, but they're like, Hey, like I feel like this is the first place I felt belonging, you know? Yeah. 
which is like, how can you blame anybody or blame you for being a part of that stuff? Even just looking at the landscape now in schools, I can, I can also see why kids make the decisions they do. The desire to belong is so powerful that it's the, like the most severe punishment in society we have right now. Isolation for 23 hours. You don't get to talk to anyone. Yeah. You mean like in prisons? Yeah. Yeah. I've read um, that it is the same sensation as like physical pain. It's as if you're getting like the shit kicked out of you basically. Yeah. By being isolated. Honestly, as I reflect on it, kind of feels like a big bruise inside your chest like not a sharp pain but just like a dull throb mm. so is this when you go to the boarding school or is clay's the um, boarding school no so after that so i did um i guess they call it continuation when you graduate from eighth grade into high school okay i decided to go to range view and while i was there i wasn't exactly a loser but i was still just kind of um more on my own but I did have a little friend there who I used to hang out with and we would talk about video games and we'd make fun of people like we just had our own world and that's so nice to hear it is (laughs) Um, but so he and I would also smoke weed together oh and it so the reason I went to that um school was partly because all those gang members went to so Rangeview and plays are not close to each other at all Okay. And I, um, my neighborhood school would have been George Washington, which oh. while it has an IB program, it also has, you know, a regular program. And in that program, I knew some people were going there and I was, I just didn't think it would go well. So I wanted to go to Rangeview. And while I was at Rangeview, I had started, so earlier I said I stole from my mom. Yeah. Well, then at Rangeview in gym class, I started stealing from people. From kids. And, mm-hmm. Like I would just stay behind in gym class and go through lockers. I don't even know why. I guess I just wanted money um, <laughs> for like for probably for weed. Um, I smoked weed a few times and um, see, so yeah, I just stayed behind and started going through people's things. Then I got away with that for a surprisingly long time, like a few weeks, and then. They figured out it was me, which isn't really a surprise. <laughs> and um, at that point, like the day after I left there. Is this, uh, you're stealing at Rangeview? Mm-hmm. Okay. During gym time. Like freshman year or something? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, y'all. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us through Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get access to bonus podcast content. And it provides the Soul Stories team the necessary resources to bring you more episodes and sustain the many projects we are already creating. You can find a link in the episode description. Now, back to the show. So this was in the first few months. Of, I, I guess I didn't waste any time. <laughs> yeah, you got being, to it. Being delinquent. <laughs> um, so th- prior to this point, I had also run away from home a lot. To okay. stay with those gang members. So running away from home, skipping school a lot, stealing and smoking weed. So that was when one day, um, like just a, f- a month and a half or a few months after the school year started, two very tall people walked into my bedroom between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. and told me to get dressed. And I said, you know, what? 
<laughs> why? Um, and they said, get dressed, we're going. And I looked at my mom and my mom said, I'm really sorry, we've done our best. By the way, I had talked to multiple psychologists at this point and it just wasn't helping. So um, she said, we've done our best and you're just going to have to go. And this whole time, these people are like gathering things around me and like kind of pushing me toward the door. And I said, well, wait, how long will I be gone? And she said, um, maybe a year. <laughs> you can imagine God. in my head, I'm like, no, <laughs> no. But so then they put me in a, in a van and um, we started driving to Canyon City, Colorado to Royal Gorge Academy, which was a boarding school there. It was my um, first experience with the boarding school. Um, so while I was there, so that was a one-year program, and you were supposed to gain- Is it a residential treatment yes. center? Or Wait, just you, facility? Tell me what that, what is that? The place I work is a treatment center because it's like therapeutically based. Like you get a therapist and you get like counselors and stuff. Yes, then I, I suppose it was. And you live there? Yes, you do live there. It was five hours away. Driving. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> <That would be laughs> I wasn't going <laughs> going home and. Um, and one really interesting thing: everyone crocheted. That was their favorite pastime because, of course, there's no TV, there's no radio, so everyone crocheted. My place too. Yeah. Oh, that's. It. Yeah, the girls love crocheting at my place. Oh, they they loved it there. Too. That's crazy. Why did they do that? Is it because the action, so the repetitive action itself is, I mean, is yeah, there a scientific well, reason why crocheting oh, I is no, so I, common? No, I don't have that. I bet oh. you probably have more insight than I do. I don't know. The only thing I could guess is that the motion is repetitive and the tools aren't, because notice it was crocheting and not knitting. Yeah. So it's, you have a, a um, like a curved needle instead of just a regular needle. Right. But yeah, so you do school for a set amount of time each day on the computer and then you have an educational video time and an emotional video time and then you spend a good amount of time in therapy like in front of each other talking about your issues and like group therapy right in that school they did their best it was okay i just so honestly kind of the same thing started happening with me like feeling ostracized because at one group I started talking about voices in my head and just like voices that were angry at me and um, saying that I was worthless and I think every I don't know what everyone thought I maybe they just thought that these voices like weren't me but I felt like I knew it was me like I didn't the voices weren't scary it was just I feel like it's the same thing that you probably say to yourself, maybe if you don't do as well as you thought, like, oh, like, I guess I messed this up. Yeah. Um, Just stuff like that. Like but talking to yourself. The way in which I described it, I didn't even talk to myself out loud. I was just being honest with them about my thoughts. Like I basically just said, sometimes I just hear voices that, um, almost like the kids from elementary school, like just putting me down. Oh. It, I think that was basically the, like the voice in my head was just, it was just usually mean to me. I didn't say nice things to myself at that time. Um, so then things got a little awkward. <laughs> and um, shortly after that, the place actually closed down um, because of low enrollment. 
and everyone got called individually to call their parents. Whereas normally in, at this boarding school, you can't, you can only talk to your parents once a month. So I didn't get a chance to talk to my mom. And I remember feeling really abandoned then. I felt like she didn't care about me. And I just, I felt scared. I like, I don't know what's happening. And I kind of had hope that I was going home because some people were saying that they were just going home since the school is closing. You know, I went to bed that night not knowing what was going on, just knowing that the school is closing and a lot of people are, are going home and I don't know where I'm going. And so then in the middle of the night, um, more um, transporters. Tall, tall <laughs> I'm people. so serious. But this time they were short and kind of old. <laughs> um, they came and got me. And I think they just felt sorry for me because I kept saying, where am I going? Like, will you please tell me? I don't know what's going on. I didn't get a chance to talk to my mom. Will you give me a hint? That's always my end with people. Will you give me a hint? <laughs> um, tell me if I'm close. So then they showed me a plane ticket to Las Vegas. And I, I was like, oh, I can I can run from there. But I didn't I didn't say that. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get on the plane together. And um They take you to Las Vegas? Well, so they so the plane flies to Las Vegas and then they rent a car and we drive for two or three hours out into the middle of the desert. And that's where the new boarding school is. That was Horizon Academy. And um I remember when I when I got there, um, so you get assigned a Hope Buddy, and they're just there to help you acclimate to your new home. And I just remember asking again, like, I still had this hope that maybe my mom would come get me. Like, maybe she, <laughs> um, you know, maybe s someone will rescue me. But I asked, um, how long do you think I'm going to be here? And then she said, oh, it's up to you. <laughs> you, ha you have to work the program. And I said, so no one's coming to get me? And they were like, no. <laughs> they had already been there for a while, all the people there. So, you know, it's not new to them. But for me, it was just like, <laughs> I think it was hard for me to accept for a while that um, that I was basically unwanted at home. That's how it felt like. Just felt like I, like they were just getting rid of me. It kind of felt like I was being thrown away. Yeah. Yeah. That's really tough. It was. It was really hard. While I was there, people explained the rules to the program. And there are six levels. Um, everyone starts at level one. So for the first level, to get level two, you just need points. But after that, you need to vote up. So at least 84% of the group that you're in needs to agree that you have the qualities of that level. And then all of staff needs to agree. And um, Wow. Yeah. The kids get to vote? Yeah. And because you're around each other all the time. So we had families and um, in dorm rooms. And there were four bunk beds, so eight people in a dorm room. And um, you're just around each other all the time and constantly you get corrected by other like children, I guess, other teenagers. So they'll say, uh, and that consequences were called cats. So they'll say, you have a cat 205 for um, not following directions. And then you have to, you have to say self, otherwise it's staffed. And then you get more points taken away and it's just, a, it's just worse. So you always have to say self and, um, that was frustrating because for, so there were five different levels of cats 
the higher the level, the more you get taken away. And then the upper levels, like the fours and fives, you would lose entire levels, which is like months of work. Um, so I was level one for um, like 10 months. And at level one, you only get to talk to your parents once, like every two months. So this whole time, um, you know, my mom's just hoping that I do better. And I could tell she was really frustrated on the phone. Um, because from her perspective and my grandpa's perspective, because he, he was basically my father figure in my life, they wanted me to do better and I wasn't gaining levels right away. But I need you to understand that it was really hard not to lose points. So you start out with 25 and then everything you do, like quote unquote wrong, you get points taken away. And it's extremely structured. So doing something wrong could be like, if you don't clean the sink well enough in the morning, then that's a cat. And if your shoes are next to each other, but they're not completely straight, then that's a cat. If oh you're missing a button, that's a cat. If you, um, oh goodness, like if you fart and people can smell it, just like weird things like that. And then for the cat twos, you, so you have to ask to stand. You have to, uh, you can't be around staff. Like there can only be two people standing around a staff member. And if there's a third person, that person gets a cat. But all this, like a hundred rules. And it's really hard to remember those. <laughs> it's just really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, everyone, you lose points all the time. Like for the first month, you're just losing points. Yeah. You're just always zero at the end of the day. Like you start with 25 and then you just go to zero. So at, at Denver Children's Home, we have a contract system. Mm-hmm. And you earn points and I, I hold kids accountable to a very similar system, but the goal is for them to earn points, not lose points. Hmm. That's making me appreciate like how structured we are. Cause like we're not that level hmm. and that sounds really intense. That just like, it sounds hard was. to navigate. It was. And you couldn't talk to certain people like two level ones can't talk to each other. Otherwise it's a cat five because you could be planning to run. Cause if you're level one, then you really, you know, you're just, you're just more likely to run. Right. Because you is... haven't gained the points to be level two. You don't have any privileges yet. So, oh, you always have to add up to six when you do, when you're talking. So like I can't as a level one, like I couldn't talk to two level twos. I had to have a level three round to talk to two level twos. <laughs> no. so I'm so serious. So they're like half the people in this group and the group was like what? 30 people strong. You can't even talk to them. And if you look at them for too long, then you might be talking and you have a cat anyway. I'm so serious. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm really going to work tomorrow it, and be like, <laughs> guys, we're doing great. <laughs> That's crazy. But I mean, yeah. So did you get up? Did you get to the levels? So the way that I kept getting points through school, because we did school on the computer and I'm great at reading and um, on the computer, you know, you're just reading things and then taking tests immediately at your own pace. So you would get a certain amount of points if you um, passed a certain amount of tests in classes that week. But it, t- it still took me like eight to 10 months to be consistently level two. And, um, we, so throughout the program, we had seminars and this is where the real change happens. So during the seminars, you go through a lot of personal growth. Basically, you're just really honest about your issues. And then they take you through these exercises that are meant to make you become uncomfortable. And at the end of that, you, 
basically get points depending on how well you did, quote unquote. And by well, I mean like how uncomfortable you got, like how real did you get. And um, you also get something lasting from each of the seminars. So with Discovery, you get your personal contract with yourself, which is just four words that describe you. So I am a beautiful, intelligent, powerful, and spunky woman. And those are your four words. Those were my words. And oh, they were those all are great unique. words. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And everyone says them. So d- also, once a day, we have review where three people get up and talk about their week for seven minutes, and then they pick three people to give them feedback. And at the end of that, you always say, thank you for caring enough about me to be honest. And then you say your contract if you have one. Mm. So what was transformative for you? I think a lot of it. I think it was... um Well, first, I was in a group of people who were kind of in the same place. And so every day we had review for an hour where we would all listen to, you know, the the three people who were assigned to have that day. We'd listen to them talk about their issues and they would get honest. And you could see that you weren't alone with what you had gone through. And some people had been, some people had been raped. Um, Some people were addicted to meth and cocaine and other people were just defiant toward their parents. Like some people just, um, there was just such a wide variety of what we had all done to be there. And I think just seeing other people go through it and be honest about what they were experiencing helped me be honest with myself and, um, seeing them get praised for personal development. So for anything above level three, you just had to start being more mature and taking responsibility for your actions. Yeah. So um, no baby act and like confidence is one of the standards for one of the levels, not leaving others out. So seeing other people get congratulated like from their peers for being a good person helped encourage me to want to be a good person. And, oh, wow. And people giving me honest feedback that was just because they cared about me and people being able to say, Uh, So when you give feedback, you always start with my experience because you acknowledge that you, no one is just the way they are as truth. It's always your experience of this person. So people would give me feedback and say, oh, Valencia, my experience of you is that you're really quiet and, you know, you're out for reassurance. And what I want you to know is that you don't need reassurance and you don't need anyone to tell you that you're good enough. I'd like to see you start to tell yourself that you're good enough and hearing that from my peers it's just very encouraging, but also some really hard stuff too. Like I remember being told that um, I was pitting myself and that um, I was feeling sorry for for myself and it wasn't going to help me. And remember, like this is in front of 25 other people. So that's really embarrassing to hear. But then you've heard, number one, you've heard other people like get kind of bad feedback too. So it's, you're not the only one who's been embarrassed. But number two, it's, it's really brave to tell someone that, to tell someone that they're pitying themselves. So pitying? What do you mean pitting? Pitying. Oh, pitying. They're pitying themselves. Oh, like it's, yeah. It's really brave to tell someone, you, you know, my experience of you is that you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're not moving forward because you're stuck in the past. And, you know, I want you to know that you're going to have to be the one that makes changes in order to change your life. And he, even though hearing that is hard, um, knowing that they they did care enough about me to be honest. Like that, that was an act of love too. like being willing, willing to tell me the good things and the hard with the intent of not putting me down, but just showing me so that I could fix it because they knew I could 
be better. Yeah. So partway through the program, you start to get more responsibilities like cleaning the place so that there were no janitors we cleaned but there wasn't even anyone out there we were in the desert <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the staff lived there too the, the staff did live on campus yes wow they were in yes it was weird and um, so doing that and then having some privileges going through those seminars and just seeing how things could be when you're not stuck in the past. Like, what is it like to really think something different about yourself and to think that maybe I can do this? Because in those seminars, I don't know if you've been to a seminar, but usually it's a very intense experience because it's only like one to three days. Someone's basically telling you all of this truth. <laughs> like direct truth to you about you. Um, sometimes it's about you. Sometimes it's just in general, they were teaching us. So they taught us the power of belief and belief. Um, they taught us how belief leads to the way that you're acting. And they showed us that the, the reason that we all acted in the way that we did was because we all thought we were fuck ups. Like we had all just basically accepted that we were messed up kids and we believed that about ourselves. And so that's what we acted like. And so they said in order to, do something different. You have to believe something different about yourself. You can start mm. with believing you can change, but nothing's going to change unless you change what you believe. They really stress to us that it's not about doing the right thing. You have to change your belief about yourself, period. And they helped us do that. And they told us that everyone is a young, like happy child. And then, you know, you're born and you're born into these families who who don't necessarily understand, who have their own patterns of dysfunction. And so you start making up beliefs about yourself like I did when I was younger. Right. Um, you start making up beliefs about yourself based on what's happening in your life, and then you act that out. Hmm. And so what, what beliefs did you change? What did you come out with? Um, so uh, I used to believe that... Um, I was just unimportant, that I was unimportant and um, forgettable and a loser and nobody. And um, and I did change those too. Um, I do matter. I am important to people and I can change. I am beautiful. I am intelligent. I am powerful. And I can make my life different. And you were able to internalize this. It was kind of a slow process because when you hear this at first, some people were resistant. And I, I understood it intellectually, but I didn't really know like how to do that. Um, I guess I, I also changed the belief that I had to understand everything intellectually like everything was a math problem to me and then um one facilitator said oh valencia you know you you don't create relationships with your head because people aren't problems to be solved you create relationships with oh, your heart that's powerful that has stuck with me my entire life and so i always have to remember that because i used to think that oh if i am um, 
I just used to think that I, I could just figure it out. Like if I could just figure out what to do, then things would be different. And, um, and then I realized that it, it was more about like who I was and I could decide who I was. Dang. That's really powerful. That's amazing. You were able to do that. Thanks. Sometimes I do have to look back and, um, just give myself a pat on the back because halfway through that program, like as horrible as I made it sound, um, I did see the benefit in it. I saw the benefit and I told my mom when I had been there for like 14 months, I was level three and I had just gotten my purpose statement through a seminar called Focus. And I told her that I wanted to graduate the program, mm. that I really wanted to do it. And when I looked at the standards, like the high, so the higher you get that the last status, the last two um, are honor and high honor. And those are all about giving back to other people and just being a positive influence on people. And I thought, you know, I really do. I want to, I want to bring good into people's lives and I want to be a good person. And I, and I think I can graduate. So I want to stay here long enough to graduate. And, um, and I think she was, um, I think they were proud of me for that, but the school was very expensive. Um, it was $4,000 a month. So a lot of people ended up getting pulled out after they had been there for like eight months or 10 months. And, um, and I was able to stay there for two years. Wow. So yeah, I'm really lucky. I think my mom remortgaged her house so that I could stay there. Wow. But, you know, I guess that just shows, even though I did, I know that I felt abandoned back then, you know, I saw that my mom and my grandpa and my family just didn't know what to do. And they knew that whatever they were doing wasn't working for me and they were willing to do whatever it took to help me have a better life. And I'm really lucky that they were willing to invest so much in just for me to be normal. Yeah just for me to have a normal life. Wow. So what does that do for your relationship with them? Um, well, my relationship was able to get better through, um, you know, through the program because so for, for example, we, we all, sometimes we would get frustrated about our parents, but Usually the feedback that you would always get is your parents care enough about you to send you here. So I had already started working on my relationship with them. And um, then when I graduated, my mom had to write me a letter because like everything else at that school, everything was a process. So graduation <laughs> itself was a big process. Yeah. And um, my mom wrote me a letter and she wrote just how proud of me she was and how happy she was. Um to have me home and it helped a lot, but it didn't magically repair our relationship because, um, so the school acknowledged that a lot of us came from homes with dysfunction of varying degrees. So parents also had to attend seminars in order to see us. Mm. So every so often throughout the program. So my parents had done some work, but even after I graduated and I came home, my mom and I went to counseling together to family counseling yeah. and that counselor did say that she felt like my mom had resentment toward me, like it, latent anger. Yeah. And, um, 
she recommended that she get counseling, but she didn't go. And I continued to go. And now our relationship is a lot better because I, I understand. And, um, and I think I forgave my mom for that. And I've been able to love my mom as she is like, yes, she, she wasn't super emotive when I was younger and things could have been different about her, but I stole her car. I mean, (laughs) she was a single mom out here just trying to raise me and she tried her best for like four or five years of me being dysfunctional. And, um, and I forgave her. And so I've been able to be loving toward her. And I think that's helped our relationship a lot. You know, that Mm. I'm not waiting for my mom to go to therapy to start treating her better. I'm not waiting for her to say she doesn't resent me anymore. I'm taking responsibility for my half of the relationship and doing the best that I can to be, you know, loving and, and a mature adult. And that has done wonders for our relationship. Wow. That's really powerful because you have every reason, right? Like to not do that, to not act that way towards your mom. What a reminder, what a lesson to the people listening right now to myself that like sometimes it just takes one person to like step up to be the role model, to create that bridge, to create that connection and that relationship. Yeah. It definitely does. And I and I went through the same thing with my dad. Um, I resented him for a while for not just for not being there for me more when I was growing up. I realized that like a lot of the beliefs that I had were basically like, I'm not important because my dad, like, I don't see my dad that much. I just feel unimportant to him. And I went to therapy specifically for that. And I've been able to just accept what he has done and acknowledge that once again, like he grew up, he, he had a really difficult childhood as well. They were extremely poor and they weren't supportive and he wanted an education and people told him that was too white, like what colleges for white people. Mm. So he went into the army and got himself an education that way, but he has his own issues to deal with. But I realized that, even resenting him, all I wanted was to have a good relationship with him. All I wanted was to have a good, loving relationship with my mom. And I just realized that no one else needed to change for me to do that. Like, I can be loving regardless of the way that they treat me. Wow, that's really beautiful. That's like making me reflect on like certain grudges I'm holding against people and just like frustrations I have. And it's just like, it's just a good reminder to, to embrace that. Like I can be that I can do that for this, for the people that I want to be close with. I love that. And I have to say like, sometimes it is difficult because like you said, you probably have every reason to be upset, but at the same time, like, is it really helping you to be upset? Like, do you feel good being upset or do you feel, does it feel better to think about like loving this person? You know, so that's what I, I just had to realize like, I'm not happy resenting people. Like it hurts me to resent people. And, but I know everyone has their own path and, 
I do want to stress that it's not easy and, and sometimes it takes multiple instances of reminding yourself like I was in I went to see a psychologist about my dad for six months and even after that sometimes I would get frustrated but the more that you practice being forgiving the easier it is and the more that you question those beliefs that you know they should do this like they should go first the more that you question that the easier it becomes to say you know maybe this time like even if they don't technically deserve it. Maybe I will just maybe, and I'll see, I'll see what happens. You know, it sounds like there's a reward there for you, for anybody trying that process. Like just doing that, like makes you feel good about yourself, even if it may not be reciprocated. It does. It, it does. Now I will say at first, especially if, if someone has mistreated you and then, you start trying to forgive them. Sometimes it almost feels like you're letting them win. Like it feels like you're like <laughs> yeah. letting them off. Yeah, it, totally. <laughs> like, like you're, you're getting off scot-free. Yeah, thanks for saying that. That's a good <laughs> uh, other perspective to this. It, it, it does. <laughs> yeah. But um, I just realized that um, being mad at me, like no one ever helped me change by being mad at me. The people that helped me change the most were the people who told me that they loved me anyway and that they saw through what I was doing. And for those people, like those were always the people who it was most important to me not to disappoint because they believed in me. They saw past what I was doing. And I think past behind every hurtful action someone does to you is honestly like is a person who's hurting like yeah. a lot of times we act out because we're hurting and for someone to see past that and say, you know, I know you're doing this just because you're hurt about, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's so disarming. <laughs> like, it's like, it's shocking for the other person. It was shocking for me. And from then, like, like there was nothing I could say. I, I was basically just a blank slate and I was open to listening to them and, um, but yeah, forgiving people allows you to see them differently because when, when you resent them, it's almost like you're keeping them like in that spot in your own head. Yeah. And you're not seeing them as they are. You're just holding them, holding them up there. In a way. And, and I know that everyone's situation is different, but I just realized that the when I decided to, you know, not see my mom as this mean, like, heartless woman and this woman that is just doing the best that she can with what she has, um, then I felt so much compassion for her. And, and I think I did, I think I did grow when I was able to see that and I was able to look at her with, with love. So what are your, what are your conversations like with her now? We talk a lot about current events and how she's doing and she asks how I'm doing and she always reminds me of how proud of me she is. And now I'm, I mean, I can say I'm so proud of her too. Like a few weeks ago, so she's a nurse and she was recently told, um, and she's, she's been a nurse for like 18 years. She recently got the feedback that a family member felt like she didn't care 
about their um, parent and she's at a nursing home so she takes care of people for a while but so she researched what good customer service is online and then she wrote on a piece of paper like four words to keep in mind and now she carries that around with her and she showed me and even though she doesn't directly say it I think my commitment to improvement does you know show her that you can change like if if I can change then she then she can change yeah she probably thought that. you're like a role model for your mom that's amazing <laughs> in some ways I mean, that sounds like the exercise you had to do too. The four words. Yeah, yeah, and you and yeah, just saying them all the time. Wow. All the time. Well, I guess I'm curious, and maybe people listening are curious. What's the timeline of this transfer? Like, how do you mind sharing how old you are now? Yeah, sure. Today I am 25 years old. Okay, and then when did you when did you finish this program? I um, graduated the program when I was 16 years old. Okay. And I went straight to college. As a 16-year-old? Yeah. And that was um, really, it was awkward for me because remember, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of raw after exiting this program. Like we, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't, we didn't have internet. You, I didn't know Michael Jackson died until I graduated. I didn't know who was president in 2010. I didn't know until I graduated. 2008. Um. I graduated in 2010. Oh, I see. From, what you're from that program. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I just. Wow, you didn't know. Pre- who? I. We. The, the, the reason they didn't. You didn't let know us Obama watch, got elected? The, I knew nothing. The reason they didn't wow. let us um, <laughs> watch the news is because they wanted us to focus on ourselves. They said, this is your program. Like, you don't need to worry about what's happening out there. Wow. That's. Adds a whole new level of isolation. I feel like I missed the worst of the recession because people talk about how bad it is, how bad it was. But um, from like October 2008 to October 2010, I I wasn't watching the news. So I didn't didn't see what the crash (laughs) or like, whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) And so where do you go to college after that? Um, Regis University. Okay. So you exit the desert of las vegas and <laughs> yeah. re-enter society and you're at regis yeah and my grandfather and my mom they were thinking about sending me to this college prep high school but then they thought that would be stupid because it was a private school and why send me there when i have graduated high school like i can just i can i could just go to college <laughs> Dang. so that's why they decided and i really wanted to go out of state i wanted to go to penn state I think I wanted to go to DU too, but um, they wanted me to go to Regis because it was close to home and they wanted to keep an eye on me. And <laughs> now they yeah, do. <laughs> a 16-year-old probably shouldn't leave the state to go to college, Yeah, especially not one with my past. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Okay, so how are you taking that that transformation, those experiences and trying to apply it as like, I imagine a, a, a more of not... I don't want to say fully healed, but you've done, you've done a lot of healing work. Yeah. um, I'm not sure that anyone is fully healed. I mean, I know that I, I, I mean, I think most people have wounds in some area of their life. Yeah. And I apply it by number one, just keeping in mind that everyone has lived their own life. Everyone is going through their own issues and they 
they may or not even be aware of what's affecting them. Like I, I got a big dose of psychology when from 14 to 16 year old years old, but a lot of people just may not understand why they're behaving the way they do. So that helps me with the way I interact with people. And then, um, I think just remembering that I can change what I believe and that Mm. if I believe that I can do something, then I know that I can do it and that I just need to keep telling myself because that's what I did. So when I was there, I told everyone that I was level six, even when I was level like two or two and a half. Um, You just kind of manifested it. I, I would just start, I would just start saying it. And then I drew a picture of a plane ticket that was going to be my flight home. And I ended up like having a home pass scheduled around that date, like within one week of that date. Wow. And, um, you just had a vision. Yeah. Just being, I did have a vision for my life. And I I think that too, just having an idea of where I'm going that that taught me. Oh, and to, to be careful who you hang around and to choose to hang around people who have the same values that you do because like they will, it they, they keep you accountable. Like if you hang around people and that they're not doing anything different, they're not growing. Then when you're not growing, like no one's going to ask you about it. It's just normal for them. But when you start hanging around people who are interested in improving themselves and just doing something with their life, they have desires and they're going to go get them. Then you're, you're going to feel a sense of desire in yourself as well. You're, you're just going to ask yourself, well, what do I want? They're out here getting what they want. What do I want? I can <laughs> yeah. probably get what I want. And then they'll ask you and then you need an answer <laughs> Yeah. and then they'll encourage you. So, um, so what do you want? Yeah. What's the vision? What do I want? What are you um, trying to do? So I decided that I am, <laughs> and <laughs> it sounds really, it sounds honestly, I'm sometimes I'm still worried about how people will judge me. Yeah. But I want to be a billionaire who uses their wealth to help other people achieve the lives of their dreams and get, get what they want. That's and big. That's a big vision. I, I have really big dreams. Um, I'm, I'm going to own my own business and just work with people so that they can have what I have, which is the knowledge that I can do what I want. What I want is attainable and I'm worthy of having it. That's so cool. What a cool vision to have. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Some people don't say that. I Sometimes I feel like, like I remember um, talking about this with friends once and me talking about my monetary goals and I felt a little judgment <laughs> like from them, like a lot of questioning why, but Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it makes sense. Like I know a part of my mind would judge it too. It's like, it's such a big goal and we're so used to limiting our beliefs. Like it's so natural to limit our beliefs, you know, that like somebody who's like, I am going to break past this limit that like, that's almost threatening to people around them, you know, but in some ways, maybe, but when I, sometimes I even have to train myself out of, um, answering like when people ask me what I want like I feel like what I ask myself is 
what could I have from here? But it can be difficult to have an answer, like a pure answer to that question, what do you want? Because it could just break like the logical confines of your life so far. Yeah. You may not be able to see it. And then it's, and it's harder to say, it's like, well, this sounds silly because, you know, yeah. <laughs> today I'm just... In Not insurance. a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So you work in insurance? I do. And what kind of business do you want to own? Um, I am a life coach. Oh, so nice. I am a, a courage coach to be exact. And I help other people look at their beliefs and realize that they have an, an option about what to believe and an option about what to do. They have options. I mean, I'm here to help them see their options and help them see that those options are possible and attainable. So are you, so speak to the audience. Are you, do you, you're doing this currently and this is something you want to offer, you're offering to people right now? Yes. Um, hi listeners. <laughs> I am the owner of Radiant Courage LLC and I am so excited to work with anyone who is interested in being more courageous in their life, whether that be trying to get an interview for a better job or starting your own business or whatever you have in mind. But I would love to accompany you on that journey toward not acting without fear, but acting with fear, doing it anyway, and being courageous. Dang. Thank you so much. Yeah, wow. That was good. You had your speech down. I didn't. I It just came out. Wow. <laughs> Dang. I, that sounded rehearsed. Oh, that was good. Oh, <laughs> is that a bad thing in, in today's oh, day no. and age? No, but, no. That was um, great. <laughs> um, so, when we're coming to the end, is there anything that we haven't talked about or anything you want to say before we like kind of wrap it up? Um. Yes, and that is that one thing that I have done repeatedly um, for the last nine years since I've graduated is listen to um, positive videos just so that I can hear like the, the words repeatedly that, that I am capable, um, I am powerful, and whatever else. So I just want to let everyone know that if you wish that someone would tell you, then you can still tell yourself and that there are a lot of resources online so that you can hear the words that you need to hear because so sometimes it just takes someone telling you that you can, you can do it. You are capable. And, um, yeah, I still do that today. And, and I want to be one of the voices that tell you, you are capable, no matter who you are, you have the ability to get what you want and you deserve it mm, beautiful thank you for being vulnerable thank you for sharing that incredible story i mean that was like you've really gone through some shit and you've like <laughs> come out the other end like strong and confident and like i mean part of me like part of me while i was listening was even like wow how is she here right now like when we were like mid story, like going to Las Vegas, I was like, how does this end? <laughs> how did we get here right now? So this is an incredible story. And thank you. Thank you. And thank you for holding space for me. Yeah. Thank you for asking me such good questions. Totally. Cool. All right. Thanks, Valencia. Thank you. 
Thank you for taking time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are very special to me. After each one, I feel more connected to myself and the community our team is building. I hope you were able to walk out with something for your own life and the journey you are on. I would love it if you could leave a review or share this episode with someone you care about. It all helps Soul Stories grow and make the impact we hope to make. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.